Each Sunday night, I'd watch the practice with none of my friends. I'd turn the dial to ABC to see the creep of the week that Bobby Donald defends. But I'm out of practice. Mike and Deglio. Way back in high school, most every night, my mom watched QVC, so I missed the practice. There was no TiVo, what could I do? Wait 15 years, get fat, then stream it on Hulu. Guys, we hit reset on the democracy explosion. I think what Keith was trying to say is Mike got the best 40th birthday present ever. Democracy Explosion sounds just about as nasty as as our podcast would allow. And welcome to the Out of Practice podcast. We are a weekly podcast that talks about the TV show from the 90s we all remember, David E. Kelly's The Practice. This week we are up to season five, episode eight, Mr. Hanks Goes to Town. It is episode number 92, and what I was trying to say is we hit snooze on the, uh, the democracy alarm. We actually, uh, looks like we might be able to hold on to our democracy for a few more years. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, we are recording on November 9th. They have called the election. Our good friend Joe has won the election. Oh, what a relief. What a relief. Yeah, if you, <clears throat> well, Keith usually does most of the prep work anyway, but Life has ground to a halt for the majority of us. Uh, <clears throat> what's interesting to me is, well, so many things I'm sure we'll tackle. Uh, you might want to like, if you're not really into listening to us talk politics, maybe fast forward a minute or two to 10. Because <laughs> uh, I feel like we're going we're gonna to unload a little bit here as Keith alluded to in his porno opening. Uh, I had joked <laughs> that moving to Pennsylvania, uh, moving back to Pennsylvania. Uh, like a democracy explosion. What is explosion? Uh, uh, I mean, it depends on your definition of explosion <laughs> and democracy. Uh, we moved to Pennsylvania, and darned if it didn't come down to Pennsylvania. It and sure did. The three suburbs that my family lives in, the Philadelphia County, uh, Montgomery County, and where we live now, Chester County. So uh, we, had a, 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 we had a hand in, you know, and the other thing I want to say, <clears throat> and look, there's a lot of uh, post-mortem to be done, obviously, and a lot of legal channels, challenges that are going to be ongoing. Uh, but we, there, was a, there was a man at the polls. It was a very orderly line we were in, very long. Thanks. A shout-out to hashtag pizza at the polls who brought us pizza because the line was so oh, long. Nice. There was a man and his family. I don't, I don't know that they were related. I shouldn't, I shouldn't assume. And they were at the our poll site, and they were asked a few times to move their actual location because they were, you know, there's that law that says you can't be within so many feet of a polling place depending on where you are. And they were pushing that boundary. They were in no way intimidating. I don't want to give that impression. They were normal. But they were trying. Their whole message, 
they were hammering was Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris are going to be socialism. We're from socialist China. It will lead to a lot of people dying. <clears throat> that was their oh, interesting. Thing. And what I, me and Jen sort of were silently laughing, not at them, but at that messaging uh, while we were in line. And darned if a lot of the exit polls aren't showing that that had a huge effect in Florida and some other communities, that socialism, yeah. that hammering that socialism message. Uh, <clears throat> it did get a little comical when they started trying to compare uh, Kamala Harris to Hitler, which was, that one was felt like a stretch even. That's a, that's a bold, it's a bold choice. But nonetheless, yeah. a few days of, of indecision kind of uh, lingered. And I'll say these two things. Here's all I want to really say, and then I'll let you talk for a minute. <clears throat> Sorry, I just went for a run, so I have that post-run phlegm. No. First things first. Locale Mike, guys. Locale Mike. First things first, a lot of the stress that we've experienced over the past few days, regardless of which side of the fence you sit on, is because we've gotten back into this culture, not back, we've established this culture of instant gratification. You know, there's no mm. law that says all of the results need to be in on Tuesday night. In fact, that's not the case. Certification doesn't happen until December. We've just right. established this principle that all the networks are going to call president by the end of the night. And so, because votes come in at different times and different states have different strategy or different uh, methods to count the votes, we find ourselves with the illusion that a certain candidate is up and the other person is catching up. That's not really what it is. It's not. It's like a football game, right? Where, well, I'll tell you what, I know the final score, but I'm just going to tell you who scores touchdowns in asynchronous order. Right. So you no, get this false drama. Right. No, absolutely. And and it is it is indeed false drama and it of course reminds me of the 2000 election which uh, is entirely appropriate uh because actually this episode we're about to talk about aired on November 26th. So hmm. a couple of weeks from now in 20 years and they still had not called the election at that point. So um I believe so certainly it is a, uh, you're right in terms of instant gratification, like we're all ex expecting that, but it's a very, uh, it was it was a little frustrating, honestly, because I, I spent the like 72 hours building spreadsheets, counting all the vote margins, and it was very clear what was going to happen. And sort of numerically, it just this is what's happening um and it took them forever to make the call but i guess it is better that they make it carefully and correctly than uh quickly for my own satisfaction uh but i what i will say is uh biden is was is not the perfect candidate he's not the perfect man he's not who i voted for in the primaries was obviously who i voted for in the election but I'm really relieved and and thrilled. And, I, you know, I'm relieved for myself, selfishly, of course, but really I'm more relieved for all of our friends and family of color, people in the LGBTQ plus community, the kids in cages. Like, it, there, there are a lot of people who had a lot of really dire stakes in this who hopefully will at least get a moment to breathe. And uh, I'm very, I'm very happy for them. Very happy for us as a country. And the last thing I'll say about it is, is how much I enjoyed uh, Jillian and I. We walked through Astoria Park after they called it, and obviously we saw the entire planet 
jumping out and dancing in the streets, <laughs> which of course, like, I, I was thinking about like, God, what must be going through Trump's head where it's not just like one city or two cities, but the entire planet is celebrating. They rung the bells in Paris <laughs> when, uh, you know, if, if I lost my job, that'd be, that's pretty crazy. Anyway, but in Astoria Park, it was a beautiful day and there were thousands of people there. And it wasn't a protest. It wasn't a celebration about this. Nobody was holding signs or whatever. Everyone was going about their day, sitting in the sun and walking their dogs. But every three or four minutes, there came out this spontaneous cheer and clapping that everybody would join in, prompted by nothing. And it was really fascinating to see, uh oh, I got small. But we just like just walking down the street and then we would clap and cheer for a while. And it was entirely uh, a our little town just became really happy. And I apparently became very small. If you're watching this on YouTube, it brings me such joy to see how tiny you became. I have become very small. I'm very happy about the election. In case uh, anyone's the sec- wondering. And the second I the second I resize you, it's you're going to get very large. I want to do it anyway, just because that's all right. Your friend, of mine. it's a, it's okay. Okay, Mike. Well, all right. <laughs> there we am. Back at the right, right size. You know, uh, I want to, I, I want to jump in and real quick. Yeah. I did get a little homesick for New York when I saw mm. all the, 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 the street celebration. Uh, for me, it's twofold. First, I want to, you know, to not play devil's advocate, but to just, I'm going to tell you one thing. I, I do want to put our side on blast for a minute. Even though we, you know, prepared ourselves for this, uh, what do they call it? The blue shift. We right. heard about it. We prepared for it. I was sort of disgusted with a lot of my friends and colleagues and, and people on my side of the political fence who instead of like re, instead of following any of the things we'd prepared for, sort of just got wasted on Tuesday and bitched and moaned. Right? It like it it was and instant. Like panicked. Yeah, people were like panicking, getting drunk, and just like being like, oh, we blew it again. I'm like, whoa, everybody needs to relax. Which is why <laughs> I just turned it off on Tuesday and was like, I'm just gonna be settle in for the long haul. That's true. I texted you guys like, how are you holding up? Like, we're watching Mandalorian. Yeah, I just was like, I can't right now. <laughs> yeah, Here's... well, I, I was comforted by just trying to give myself the illusion I could control it by running a lot of numbers myself. And here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say as a kind of, and, and I think you'll agree, so I'll close down. I'm under no illusion, nor do I think you are, or anyone is, that this magically solves any problems. Oh, or goodness, no. magically does away with the conflict that we have and how clearly the popular vote shows us how divided uh, our nation is. However, it also shows how many people got out and had an opinion, which is what you and I had been championing from the beginning. And already in the few days since the call, two things have happened that I think are good. You might disagree, uh, not you, Keith, but you out there might disagree, but I think show me that this was a good thing, a net win for everyone. One, I feel like the volume has already come down. Yes, there and yes, there are the the sort of sort of conspiracy type people who are still calling President Elect Biden a pedophile. Rudy is, and the, is still shouting from the Four Seasons lumber na- yard na- next the to four the seasons porn store. landscaping. Yep. Landscaping <laughs> next to the porn store, the crematorium. But the mainstream media, all the networks, including Fox, and mm-hmm. and kind of yep. the general consensus have already started to shift and say, hey, you know what? That stuff is inflammatory and stupid. And before a few days ago, that stuff was given equal weight to the converse, to the general tenor and conversation. 
And already just the fact that we've sort of, I don't want to say denounced, but we voted against Trumpism, eh, the balance has kind of restored. And and for me, I'm cool with that. No, I I think it's good. And, And, you know, when I make the joke about just pressing snooze on the end of democracy, you know, these institutional problems are still there. Trumpism is not gone just because Trump is gone. But you're right. I think that the media learned a great deal from 2016. 2016, they handled so badly. And as the as the four years went by, they really started handling the way this administration deals with information in a much more responsible way. And it and they were, you know, and and the, the part of what Trump did is he always telegraphed exactly the stupid things he was going to do. So we, everybody knew already that he was going to say it was a fraud and it was a fake and all the votes were fake and this blah, 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 blah. So everyone was like, they knew it was coming and and everyone's like, oh, all right, great. If that's a thing, show me the evidence, but we're not going to believe you until there's evidence and Mm -hmm. you just screaming into the industrial areas of Philadelphia is not going to uh, make us take this seriously. And you know, and because taking it seriously without evidence is a real threat to our yeah. democracy. It's a threat to our institution. It's a it's there's the threat of violence. It is a really dangerous thing to be playing with. So I'm really uh, I'm happy for the most part with how our media has handled it. All yeah, right, I mean, we, at the end yeah. of the day, uh, if you know, <clears throat> my final hope. I'm, I'm, I address our 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 new friend Mo from our, an email a few weeks ago. You might recall. Uh, maybe now, Mo, these sort of like policy ideas that we disagree on, we can have that conversation. We can have that argument rationally, and maybe come to some sort of solutions to the problems. That's sort of I think I think we can agree that's something we're hoping for. Yeah. And maybe we have the the airwaves uh, to be done that. Let's not forget Joe Biden. You know, one of the things he's you know, politically, I want to say famous, but politically recognized for is he's reached across the aisle many, many times. And, yeah. you know, he's got a tough balancing act with sort of the left wing of our party, the progressive wing, and the sort of staunch obstructionist sort of right. Uh, maybe he can thread the needle. Let's see. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I will be really thrilled to to get back to debating tax policy and not debating whether Democrats are lizard people who drink the blood of babies. Uh, what do you but, say? Let, let's not forget. Uh, all, well, I guess, well, but there is plenty we can do, but we're not, we don't live there, so we can't actually vote. But all lies go to Georgia, right? Because that is a... Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah. It's not over seriously. yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, all right. Should we, all right. Uh, talk we talked about, about that for too practice? long. Yeah. Look, <laughs> no, let's not talk about the practice yet. Let's and talk about ourselves some more. you've been listening, too. <laughs> No, it is time to listen to somebody other than us and hear the filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. Filings and subpoenas. We have heard from our most Russian friend, Dmitry Fedorov, who wrote on our YouTube. After all, Harlan Bassett wins paying 5.6 million in compensatory damages, and I think there might have been a bit of a language. Uh, barrier there because I don't quite know what he's talking about. He might be referring to an episode uh, <laughs> in the air. future. But okay. uh, l- obviously last episode uh, Brothers Keepers, we got a great visit from Harlan Bassett and uh, I-, I could imagine he he might be asking for compensatory-, compensatory damages to being thrown in jail for doing his job. Uh, but uh, 
we might actually be giving $5.6 million in compensatory damages for the unfair use of the Disney property as Timon and Pumbaa, as you will see <laughs> on our social media this week. Well, look, it, I, I, I uh, uh, measurably changed the art so as to make it a commentary. <laughs> so I believe in parody uh, laws. I, it, because like the, the pictures of Timon and Pumbaa are from separate things, as are the pictures of uh, of um, of Ernie and Tom, and the background is yet another separate image. So I measurably changed it. I don't All think right. uh, it's clear that Disney is endorsing our uh, Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Anyway, uh, also Maxwell's Demon Nine wrote. Uh, that, about, is a, that, again, that is a that is an intense handle. P.S. Maxwell's Demon Nine. I think it's great. Very specific. I'd love to know. Please write in. Let us. Know. I want to know the origin of that. Is it haunted coffee? I don't know. It's better than Mikey I Nine Nine that I just picked in high school because I graduated in nineteen ninety nine, and now I'm like, <laughs> oh, that was creative. <laughs> well, the, the, we all the know Parviarto. Pavi, yeah, exactly. Well, but the other thing about ninety nine now is a lot of people will tag their birth year at the end of their handle. And so you could be like, yeah, I was born in 99. Yeah, sure. Totally, I read that, totally. It's not like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you graduated high school. Uh, anyway, I found my so high school tassel, and it is, the colors are so faded, it's very depressing. It's, it's yeah, well, colors are faded on all of us. Anyway, Maxwell's Demon 9 says, hey, nice spare tire wrap-up, Mike. Echoing my own thoughts about the three storylines. I also find this a very strong episode. It is disappointing to learn that Kittleson is a complete piece of shit, although I will say we get a hint of her authoritarian streak in season three, Closet Justice, where we learn she hates the Fourth Amendment. To quote Kittleson herself, anyone who hates our basic constitutional rights can't be all good, or even very good at all. In conclusion, screw Kittleson. Wow. Yeah, I, I I don't necessarily disagree after that uh, after, after how, what she revealed. Why don't this last you take episode. that Emmy, turn it sideways, and shove it straight up your candy ass, Kittleson? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you, Maxwell's Demon Nine. It is now time to hop back into the time machine. Oh shit, we really went right there, y'all. That's it. That's it. We are going back to November 26th, the year 2000. And it brings up everybody's question, Mike, what were you doing? This day in the basement. That's not what we do next. I promise. What we do next is basement. Next week, I'll be more ready. This is episode 92. Nobody my mom's, co- my mom's coming you. over for uh, to stay with us uh, for my birthday weekend. So uh, that promise is sure to be busted as I want to oh, pull my, my hair out. Um, oh, and actually, you know what that what that reminds me to do as we are finishing up filings and subpoenas. Guys, next week we're celebrating Mike's 40th birthday. And I've got some fun stuff planned. But if you would like to participate Reach out. Wish Mike a happy birthday. Don't make him all lonely so that I'm the only one wishing him a happy birthday. Send it to our Instagram at Out of Practice Podcast, our Facebook at Out of Practice Podcast, Out of Practice Podcast at gmail.com. Come on, guys. Let's do this in style. Photoshop me onto a ripped body so that I feel better about myself. Anything you want to do, really. 
Yeah, it's sort of like like Trump does. You can Photoshop yourself onto <laughs> Rambo. Be perfect. Riding uh, a horse shirtless with Putin. November 26th, the year 2000. Uh, it was around Thanksgiving time. I, I think sure that's was. fair to say. And I recall, I think I mentioned it last year, maybe not. Uh, we used to go to, we, you know, there was a few of us, my friend Wesley and I, uh, you know, we were, we had stayed back. We were back from the college uh, experience. And we would go to my friend Alex's house where his parents were sort of empty nesters and we would spend Thanksgiving with them. And it was really kind of awesome. We did that this year and they were such good people to us and provided a little therapy for me at the time because as I think I've mentioned, my parents didn't really understand what the hell I was doing with myself. And the Kaylers sort of... um I guess maybe I shouldn't be using their names, but it's all right. It's in positive light. You're saying good things. Yeah. They really were there for me in a sort of both friendship way and a parental way. And mm. and I've I've gone on to, I've come to really respect it even more than I did at the time. I don't think I recognized how important it was for me until later in life. Uh, the sad news, that's the sort of postmortem of it is that they've moved on in their lives. They've moved away. Uh, I I can't tell from the social media where they are or if they're, you know, what their situations are. And it's, so it's hard to reach out. And I haven't really kept in touch with my friend Alex either. So uh, we sort of lost them to antiquity thus far. <laughs> uh, so I guess I'm just shouting a thank you out to the universe to them. And hopefully our paths spin, spin across uh, at another time. Well, if you're still on social media, you can reach out. They're not. That's kind of the, that's what I'm Oh, saying. they're not. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Where's Alex? So. It, it's sad when that happens, but it is a part of life. People, you know, we we come in and out of each other's lives as as time goes. And if we're serving a purpose for, you know, for providing something good for each other in the time that we're there, that's a good thing. And I also don't begrudge anyone who decides to not be on social media. In fact, I probably think it's better for them, for people to not be. So, uh, you know, oh, yeah. is Definitely. what it is, as I say. Yeah, but how else am I going to feed my narcissism? Well, we've got this here... Podcast that could be 45 minutes. It, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Like, with, there's 42 minutes of the practice episode padded with an hour and a half of narcissism. Yep. It's perfect. And, like, anxiety and uh, fear, <laughs> loneliness. You know. Loneliness. Yes, a lot. That's true. Yeah, there's a fine line between loneliness and narcissism that keeps us doing this. Yeah. That's great. We're really textbook case. Someone, someone somewhere is writing a hell of a book on us. Yeah, Phoenix probably is. He's probably yeah. gonna, you know, go to his his next uh, psychology meeting and and do a uh, do an abstract on us. He's on TED Talks. So we don't even know it about us. <laughs> it's a TED Talk on us. Probably. All right. Well, I uh, was spending Thanksgiving of two thousand. Back in, of course, in my home state of Vermont with my folks, there is me looking all chunky, Ooh, girl. just like I do today. I, it, that's the weird thing. I sort of fluctuate in weight, but I kind of just look the same, except I've got a lot more gray in the beard these days. You look so much like Harry Potter, number one, that I didn't it's even recognize until right now. Yeah. And, uh, and you look a lot like your grandfather. I assume that's I do. your grandfather. Yeah. That is my grandfather. Yeah. We're, we actually kind of have the same uh, expression there. Yeah. Uh, and someone who photographs you loves this sort of angled profile shot of you. 
That's true. Yeah, it's, it's it's my mother. And of course, you can tell from the resolution that was like an early digital camera. I think that's a still from the digital video that we have. We we're so proud. Got 320 by 240, guys. Looking good. Uh, but anyway, it was a beautiful, snowy Thanksgiving. We did a lot of sledding, did some stuff, some time outside. And, and I, I will say that... Um, my grandfather there is is uh, still with us, but he's you know he's had some health issues of late, so we wish him well. Uh, that is the grandfather that I've uh, talked about, who was uh, was a gay rights activist, still is a gay rights activist for the last 50, forty years, <laughs> if you believe it. Uh, so we we certainly wish Grandpa well. All right, let's. Is he a listener us... of the pod, Keith? He is profoundly not. <laughs> but he was pretty excited about the election. I'll tell you that much. That's awesome. He, w- he was like, I'm not going until he's gone. Uh, my favorite part of the election was a- after uh, it was all said and done. And my mom asked me to ex- to teach her what the electoral college was. She didn't understand the numbers. And so that was kind of fun. And then at the end of all of it, she, uh, they were like talking about Trump. And she goes, why are they still talking about this asshole? And I thought that was just wonderful. That was just wonderful. So also a shout out to um, Steve Kornacki. I mean, that guy, Sex whether you're in MSNBC or not, he just really broke it down and made, was trying to make people understand the math. He wasn't sensationalizing it. He just- He also didn't leave the air for like a hundred hours straight. I know the poor guy. You could see it. Everybody, all of the networks, all of the anchors, just just becoming decrepit, sleep deprived zombies was pretty. Was oh, like a. I, I, I was I, I was really impressed at how well they held up. Really, I mean, that was uh, that was that was crazy. It was WrestleMania for them, man. This was WrestleMania, the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, people, and, you know? and I understand from you know Jillian was asking me like, how could he do that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like the Super Bowl. This is like the best. Like I. I'd be so excited to like break some sort of a record for, you know, most consecutive hours on air. That'd be awesome. And, you know, Lord knows what he's eating behind that desk. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. It is time to. It's time for the Out of Practice Podcasts This Day in the World. The greatest hits, the biggest movies, headlines from Vermont, essential sports updates, and for some inexplicable reason, the weather from 20 years ago. Now back to Keith and Mike. Okay, as we mentioned, we're talking about November 26th, the year 2000. The number one hit continued to be Independent Woman by Destiny's Child. The cover of the Burlington Free Press talked about the campaign's prepare for certification as the 2000 election was finally coming to an end. So if you think we took a long time to figure out who was going to win the presidency, 2000, don't forget it. The top movie continued to be How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Jim Carrey tearing it up in the film arena as he does now on SNL. And now he's playing, yeah, what a weird sort of symmetry. It's all coming together. Yeah. All right, thank you. That's a good adaptation, by the way. It's just one dude. No, 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 no. Oh, you mean... <laughs> because that that isn't a good adaptation. The movie was a good adaptation. I don't, I've never actually seen it. I was not Great. one of the millions of people who plunked down what seven dollars at that point to see a movie. I'd have to Google 2000? it. I don't know that that sounds so cheap, but also very still very expensive. 
possibly, I mean, Vermont, Vermont still might be $7. Do you not uh, watch The Mandalorian, Keith? Sorry, total non sequitur. Do you not? Oh, uh, no, I've I've just started. I've seen like the it's first three really or four really good. And I avoided it because I was talking about how good it is and I'm a contrarian. But you are. It's really good. No, I I was, it looks so expensive, but I. So good. But it's actually not as much as you might think because of how they film it. I don't, uh, so all that, all the world, we're talking about off a tangent, all the worlds that they build there that you think is green screen or blue screen is not. It's actually, they have a, a circular LED net that is so detailed, it, it fools 4K cameras. And uh, so they're able to interact with that world in real time because they've already mapped it out. And it's all in, it's synced up with the camera, so they can move the camera or whatever, and the and the background will move realistically with the camera, so they can actually do it all in frame. I can't even get you at your you sized right through Skype. I mean, <laughs> well, in trouble. It's, and that LED net like is such a cool technology. Um, so do the I, what do the actors see the yeah the, the environment they're in? Wow. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, and. It's similar to, uh, I might have mentioned this, uh, the, the King Kong on Broadway a couple of years ago that, that uh, my brother-in-law was in, the, the guy who introduces this day in the world. Uh, they so had, back around. They had that, that technology as the background on the set. So they had a little bit of a set in front of it, but they had this full backdrop of this LED net, which was able to move and, and project all these things in a way that's so much better than either front or rear projection because it's an actual huh. LED net. Very cool. Cool. Anyway, it's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. Thanks, Eric. It's time for sports. 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 The New York football giants decimated the lowly Arizona Cardinals 31-7 in the half-empty Sun Devil Stadium. Ron Dane, Jiggy Barber, and Amani Tumor contributed rushing touchdowns, and Dave Brown was terrible for Arizona, as always. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia football Eagles reached a record of 9-4 with a 23-20 victory over the Washington races, named overcoming two touchdown passes by Jeff George. McNabb rushed for 125 yards and a touchdown for the Eagles. Should be noted this week, Keith, uh, the New York Giants won a football game, and Tom Brady uh, had his ass handed to him, and, and uh, I, I enjoyed both those things. I, yeah, I'm sad that the Giants won because I want that number one pick because we need a quarterback who doesn't fumble or throw an interception on 62% of the plays that he does. And I did the math. Uh, I could fumble and get an interception on 100% of the plays. And the Giants need something, somebody that's uh, more than a 38% better than I could do. I just like that they won because it kept the Eagles firmly atop the NFC East. Uh, they can stay there. I, I I just want the pick. I just want the number one pick. Okay. It is now time for Weather. I mean, we can listen to it. I don't got can you Are you ever going to do the weather again? See, I fought so hard to kill this dead. And you fought so hard to keep it alive. I don't know that I fought. I, I had an advocate fight for me. Uh, but what I who you have abandoned? Uh, no, what I'm gonna what I have an idea to uh, to resurrect it, and I also am going to bring back uh, uh, true crime, back in time, true crime. So both those things are happening uh, at some point. At some point. <laughs> I'm a human being. God damn! I was moving, it. man. My life has value, and I'm not gonna take this anymore. It's time to talk about the damn episode. 
Okay. It yes. is time to talk about the episode. This episode is The Practice, Season 5, Episode 8, Mr. Hinks Goes to Town. It was written by David E. Kelly and directed by Jean Soir, the director who's directed oh, many him. more episodes, and of course, Jaws 2. It leaves us with only one thing to do. You said this was like a famous episode, right? Yeah. What is that supposed to mean? What's your problem? Is this what happens to women when you insert your penis? What? What? What What does Mike think's gonna happen? You know, what if he would have drank the curdled milk? Then what would have happened? I have absolutely, lotely? Absolutely no idea. But one thing I'm gonna guess right off the bat is that we have a party for Eleanor this week. Somebody throws Eleanor a party. Um, in fact, boy, talk about the season of big swings. It deserves. <laughs> she deserves it. Not only that, we meet the sperm donor this week, Mister Hinks, because oh. he finds out that there has been a settlement that the he went to the, town on something. Yeah, that the uh, the firm has won, <laughs> uh, and he wants a piece of that sweet, sweet Eleanor cheese. And I mean money when I say cheese, because I don't want this to get nasty. All right. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So, yeah, this is all about Eleanor's pregnancy. Ooh, Jen is bringing in coffee. Thanks, Jen. Jen, come oh. say hi on camera. Come on. Okay, that's a hard no. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> she gave me a this. She ducked down just to ensure that even if she well, broached the camera frame, she would be underneath the horizon. But, but here's the amazing part. The door to the room is directly behind you, and I didn't see it have it. Did she crawl on the floor like in, <laughs> she's a in the military? It's just a closet. Okay. That's a closet. The door's over there. Because, like, I, I, can, I can tell you uh, only a few things with a great she, deal of certainty. She military crawled into this room holding a coffee to ensure she would not be on camera. <laughs> no, and that is, that is absolutely true. I can tell you one thing. Jillian will not be coming through that door. Uh, she did not want to be on camera or off camera or... <laughs> Anything to oh. Do with us. oh my oh, god. Man, that oh, made me laugh. That made yeah. Me laugh. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for the not drop in, CEO Jen. Oh, Keith, you know what I realized? Uh, hmm. For no reason, it doesn't matter, but uh, for those shows I do, sees the show.com, I film at 24 frames per second for a more cinematic flair. And I forgot to change that for our recording today. So we're going to be in 24 frames. Oh, nice. Very Scorsese like of us. I like it. Very classy. Okay. Well, here we go. Mr. Hinks comes to town. Any any guesses on the uh, on her Easter egg this week? So it it looks like it'd be a signet of some sort. It's not a it's not quite a target. It could be some sort of like a fuck. No. Okay. Well, we will. Uh, I tell you what it will... looks like to me. Let me tell you hmm. what it looks like to me. Okay. Do you remember American Gladiators? Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned it on TV or on more TV a few weeks ago. Anyway, remember that game where they'd have to roll in those like hamster balls and like get into the little pod sure. for the points? Yeah, that yeah. looks like the pod. Okay, yeah, it sort of does. Yeah. All right, I'm well, show that on screen right here. 
Hopefully, yeah. now I've given myself something to do in post. God damn it. <laughs> you gave yourself homework. Uh, but then we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll remind. We should discuss. We sometimes some weeks we don't discuss the Easter egg, and we should. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we we will revisit it later. Uh, meanwhile, maybe you should get one of those hamster balls for for you and Jen. Maybe she'll be on camera then if you do some American Gladiator. What? Why but would she? But maybe she'd appear on if you built her one of those hamster balls to like roll around. I'm going to bring my wife in on in a cage. Yeah, that's going to go do well. It's going to do well for <laughs> us. Here's cage. the QR code, people. Oh, for Christ's sakes! All right. If you want to listen to us talk about the episode for this uh, scintillating insight we provide. And the comedy, Keith. I don't know, really. That joke that if you loved that hard hitting comedy of <laughs> Keith's American Gladiator, put your wife in a cage. Uh, you are gonna love what we can come up with during this episode of the practice. Exploding democracy, Eleanor's cheese, and wives in cages. That's what you come. <laughs> You've really stumbled upon a gem of an episode. <laughs> Crushing it. Hey guys, it's Keith. Guess what? Mike doesn't know we're talking right now. I'm going to slip this into the episode, hopefully after he stops editing it. So, if you remember, a couple of months ago, Mike went crazy for my 40th birthday. And guess what? In a couple of weeks, it's going to be Mike's 40th birthday. So, I've set up a secret account to send him happy birthday messages. You can email me or send a voice message or whatever. You can send it to happy 40 Mike at gmail.com. That's happy four zero Mike at gmail.com. Let's send him into his forties in style. Bye. The practice season five, episode eight, Mr. Hanks goes to town on Eleanor. No. In Eleanor, but I, Hi. no, I'm no, looking no. for her, Lindsay. Jeannie? Hey! Lindsay's old friend. Hi. Hey, switching oh. it from a Bobby old friend. Oh, Another old friend who probably murdered somebody. She seems a little too calm to have murdered somebody, but maybe she did something to Mr. Hinks? Like, literally nobody has ever walked into that office who wasn't an old friend. Yeah. But this old friend in particular is played by Rebecca Kreskoff. From, she's actually from Philadelphia. Hope she voted this week. Mm-hmm. She's from Claws, Justified, Hung, Quintuplets, The West Wings, Greetings from Tucson, and Mad Men. And she's the West Lindsay's Wings old plural? friend. What's that? The West Wings plural? Uh, I think just one West Wing. Okay. Uh, about five months. I knew her when she was a virgin. Funny. <laughs> Listen, you got two seconds. I'm on a major clock. Sure. You must be a witch. I have been meaning to call you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me to the wedding, by the way. Eloped. Right. Wow. Deep Listen. cut. <clears throat> William Lindsay's, Hanks. Lindsay's uh, showing. Congratulations. I've been treating him. The William Hanks? Yes. She's a doctor or a psychologist? people after you began treating him? Or? That's cute. Okay. Mr. Hanks is a murderer. Is he I don't think he did it. What do you mean you don't think he did it? He confessed. I think he fabricated that confession. He made up that he killed nine people? Yes. Yes. And fooled the police. It's complicated. Listen, as you probably know, the trial starts in two days. He just fired his attorney. The judge, I'm told, is not likely to grant him much of a continuance. He'll probably assign a public defender and... 
Lindsay, would you consider doing it? No. Defending William Hinks? You've become this big star. I read about you now. I don't do serial killers, Jeannie. Uh-oh. I just do Bobby. I believe the man didn't do it. Yes, he says he did. But as good as you are at what you do, I am just as good at what I do. And I'm telling you, I've become more and more convinced he's delusional. I'm curious to see if she means he didn't do all of the murders, as a serial killer would imply, or just this one particular murder. I think she's implying that he didn't do any of the murders. But while we're stopped, it's an interesting thing to have Lindsay be the one coming onto this case, as she was actively stabbed by a serial killer previously. Hmm. And her Uh, friend would know that. uh, Also, random shout out. If you haven't watched The Confession Killer on Netflix, it's a similar sort of uh, plot device. Hmm. William Hinks is not the serial killer who murdered those women. And right now, he needs a good lawyer. Oh, I love the priest stinger. We haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, all right. Well, this is... So, we have a serial killer, Mr. Hinks, whose therapist thinks he didn't do the serial killing, despite the fact that he confessed to it. You know, it's interesting that, well, I, I get it. They're friends and stuff, but that, isn't it? I mean, I know a therapist has to re- report if they think their client did something illegal, or but it feels weird to have them come in and be exculpatory if not called by the trial lawyer. Well, I mean, place. no, a therapist can advocate for you if they think you're innocent. And I think even if you confess to a crime, therapist can't tell you. The therapist can only reveal if you say, I'm about to harm somebody. Uh, Even if you're like, I'm going to go rob a store, they can't report it. But if I'm I don't think you should take somebody. it. My first instinct was not to, but she says he's innocent. I don't know, Lindsay. How do you start such a monster of a trial on two days' notice? The defense is fully developed. John Moore was the lawyer. He's good. Stephen Banks was a lawyer before that, and he's excellent. And not to, not for nothing, but I did attend a pottery class with uh, Mr. Hinks at one point. So it all, you know, we know we take those cases. No, totally. What happened to them? Well, he fired them. According to Jeannie, when they confronted Hanks about his possibly being delusional, he we fired get a Rebecca them. Episode the man can't face the deep? idea that maybe he's no. not the killer. In which case, how do you defend him? And why would you even want to? I'd be going up against Roland Hill for one thing. How often does any lawyer get the chance to go up against him? Not very often, but if I were going to do it, I certainly wouldn't want a client who insists in like he's guilty. The place. You people supposedly defend underdogs. I've got one here. He's ill, and unless we help oh, him, he's going to destroy his life. I guess. Come on in. We're I having a meeting do you it, weren't Bobby. invited to, but sure, come on in. But I will need backup. I can do it. I'm I'll free. I was you first. You were here first. All right. Lindsay, you sure? Yes. Everyone Jimmy, wants you second chair. Thank you. Thanks. You're right, Rebecca. It's not fair. He's really a docile man. Just misunderstood. Of course we get Jimmy. You need a guard in the room? It's your call. You'll lose privilege. Christian I think Borle? we can take him. <laughs> it does look okay. like Christian Borrell, but it's not. Look out, here we go. Guy who's definitely not Christian Borrell. Guy who I'm hoping had something to do with Eleanor and her cheese. It has nothing to do with Eleanor and Eleanor's cheese, but it is 
Guys, it's Michael Emerson, who is a Golden Globe nominee, a five-time Emmy nominee. Two of them won. We, of course, all know him as Ben from Lost. Also, headlines, Person of Interest, Saw, Evil, and Arrow. And is a uh, New York mainstay. If you haven't run into Michael Emerson at some point on the streets of New York, you're not trying. Yeah, and if you haven't uh, somehow, you can actually find him doing an autograph signing this afternoon at the Four Seasons Landscaping Company, <laughs> locating between uh, Johnson's Crematorium and Johnson's Dildo Store. <laughs> Under the West Side Highway. William, this is Wait, Lindsay Dole, Lost, right? the lawyer I was telling you uh, about, and no. this is Jimmy Berluti, oh, also shit. at the same firm. My pleasure. But I guess he's thank the one you, face I would probably recognize. Mr. Hanks, we continue the trial until next week, which means you may get transferred back to Cedar Junction. They don't like keeping maximum security prisoners in lockup for too long. What we're going to do first is go over the confessions and the evidence, and then we'll get back together and talk. What is there to talk about? Well, Dr. Reynolds tells me it's your preference to plead insanity. You realize if we win on that, you don't go free. Yes, I realize that. If we could possibly get a straight not guilty. No. I did it, Miss Toll. At least with insanity, I can perhaps be sent to a place where they'll help me get better. Even if that's true, you won't be getting out. The closest diagnosis I can make is that so he couple has of, delusions. Uh, things I'd like to note as a first-time watcher. Yes. Already, oh, yeah, please. Like, by all means, like chime in what you're thinking throughout the episode. Two beats I thought were really cool there is is or three things I noticed is that Lindsay is that Kelly Williams is playing Lindsay, you know. With with a respect and caution that I think you noted, she does have that trigger, and you can kind of see that if you're paying attention. Also, I loved a couple of just fairly quick shots of Jimmy, Michael Baluco's Jimmy, really sizing him up, which I which you don't get to see Jimmy do a lot. You know, usually they don't use him in that way, but Jimmy's really sizing up what he thinks is taking place, and great casting already because just his look, the perp's look is Michael's look is looks like he could be insane. He's got those well, kind of buggy eyes and you instantly can see where he can play the part as a serial killer if he wants to and we're going to find out what his motivations for quote unquote lying about it would be if he is innocent. And I think they're just setting up the sort of keeping us un, un, uneven. And I, I think it's interesting to, for you to watch this not having seen his other stuff, not having seen Lost, not having seen... Because... When we saw this episode the first time, and I saw this one live, uh, we didn't have we didn't go into it with thoughts about Michael Emerson ahead of time, mm -hmm. like you know, like oh, it's Ben from Lost, so I'm expecting him to be this type of a character or that right. type of a character. Uh, so it's really interesting to see. Have you watched this through fresh eyes? Very cool. Symptomatic of schizophrenia, probably paranoid. Not only does he believe he committed these crimes, why is this the idea of others not believing it is so for some reason repugnant right to him. But if he didn't do them, he sure gave them a lot of details. It's pretty high Almost high, all high the information client. he provided in his confession was accessible. There's a whole internet site set up on this killer. A lot of these facts are available to the general public. Janie, tell me why you think he didn't do it. For one thing, he's got a lot of holes in his story. I also don't get any sense of anger in him. Now there's a hole. What, this, 
we've already agreed to it. We've already interviewed the guy. And yet this is the first time we're asking her, why do you think he didn't do it? Don't you think that was in the first meeting? Well, you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't. It's probably a longer explanation. See the necessary capacity for violence. He's a quiet little accountant who never leaves his house. It's always the quiet ones. I also put him under hypnosis. Oh, there he told there a very different story. Which was? Basically that he didn't do it. That he wishes he did it. They found him near the scene of his last victim. He said he has a police radio. According to his story under hypnosis, he heard of the crime. He managed to go there, get into a neighboring cellar, and let himself be discovered there. The police are pretty good about sniffing out false confessions. He is extremely smart. Borderline genius. He also passed the polygraph, which he would if he were delusional. Any chance he could have been faking with the hypnosis? That's what I thought at first, but I don't believe it now. Either way, Jeannie, if he convinced the police with his confession, including an FBI profiler, he'll likely fool a jury. He didn't necessarily fool the FBI profiler. We're going to need to talk to that FBI profiler. I, I was suspicious. There were certain facts he should have had if he were the real killer. FBI profiler we just mentioned! Guy! <laughs> wow. We are bringing our comedic A-game, guys. If you had, came here for comedy. I had something. You know, this could be simply, this looks like a redressed Bobby's office. <laughs> it kind of does. Well, I'm, I bet they have like three or four just generic offices that they are con constantly redressing for different judges. We, um, uh, sorry, viewers, I'm all over the place today. Listeners, uh, we watched, Jen is like addicted to uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. We watched a bad one last night and- let me say they had a they had clearly rented out like a Howard Johnson's or a Holiday Inn, mm -hmm. and they redressed the lobby of a Holiday Inn to be two different hotels, and mm -hmm. an airport terminal, uh -huh. and the fancy fancy um, uh, a breezeway of like a, of a multi million dollar state. It was both terrible and also very very budget conscious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, Hallmark is nothing if not budget conscious. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah. let's introduce, this is Brad Greenquist, who you might know from Pet Cemetery, uh, the original one. Yeah. He played the guy who got hit by the car. Uh, he was also in Ali, Water for Elephants, The Lone Ranger. And here we go, guys. Here we go. On Enterprise, he was the Rigelian kidnapper in Affliction. He was also Captain Kachkata in uh, Something Dawn. And he, on Deep Space Nine, he was Crit in Who Mourns for Morn, one of my favorite episodes. On Voyager, he was Deimos in The Warlord. Unnecessary Star Trek reference. The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. Keith, how did the interview go? Oh, <laughs> it was it was actually really fun. Um, it was that we're talking about. I'm doing a uh, an episode of Retro Tech uh, coming up next season where they're doing an episode on teleportation and VR, and so I'm one of the talking head quote unquote Star Trek experts. So yeah, it was fun. We had to do it in studio, um, so had to deal with all the COVID stuff. But went in, they interviewed me for about an hour and fifteen minutes. And uh, and that was it. I there's a, a pretty awesome other talking head that I cannot talk about yet. Okay, we'll look forward to it. Such as 
Uh, times of death, he could only approximate. A killer that precise, I'd have thought he'd be clear on time. Positions of the bodies, also the fingernails. What about the fingernails? Well, you saw that he pulled them off all of his victims. And? He actually didn't. The police planted that disinformation for the very reason to trip up any false confessions. Hinks has maintained that he pulled the nails out of all of his victims, just as reported in the papers. If you've checked Discovery, you now know that the nails of the fifth victim were never removed. That's something the real killer should know. But you signed off on this being the guy. Because he did have a lot of very specific details. He was found near the scene of the last one, and when they searched his apartment, they found voluminous clippings, internet printouts, whatever, on each and every previous killing. Hmm. But he could have collected that stuff to learn about the murders. Yeah, he sounds obsessive. Or he was the murderer, and he liked to read about himself, which is pretty typical of serial killers. One more thing. The killing stopped as soon as William Hinks was in custody. Well, that's interesting. So you think he's a... I think he's probably the one. But maybe not. Maybe not. Prosecutor better not call him. How do we defend him? If we plead not guilty, he'll fire us. Which more than anything else is telling me that he didn't do it. How do you figure? Well, a guilty man would want to get an acquittal if he could, don't you think? A man obsessed with having the world think he's guilty, on the other hand. Isn't it possible he could be both? Guilty and wanting everyone to know it. Possible, but I just don't see it. I'm calling Hinky right now. All right, let's hear it. Uh, She's still too involved, dude. You're calling Hinksy. Yeah, she's still too. She's. I I get one thing being like, hey, we need. I don't think he's guilty, but something. She's. She's too involved. Hmm. Mike's early prediction. She's a serial killer. Ooh. All right. That's a big swing. Maybe we just stick with insanity. But who knows? Maybe we could win that way. But we don't believe he did it, Jimmy. We can't argue he was insane at the time he did it if we the... know he didn't do it. We Spread don't know it, Lindsay. We don't know anything. <laughs> could Eleanor you ever go a to a judge and get an order that he has to plead not guilty? I've never heard of that happening. Everybody wants it to be him, Lindsay, because they're afraid. And he wants it to be him. But it's not him. Look, the only thing I'll say to to defend that, though, is, and we haven't heard it from her yet, is, look, as long as the wrong guy is being locked up for this crime, the real serial killer is still out there lying in wait. Absolutely. You know, and if I'm somebody's therapist or really anybody, like if I, if I, if you had been arrested for being a serial killer, you know, 50-50 chance, and I was convinced that you didn't do it, I'd probably go to some great lengths to defend you. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't, like, barge into an office meeting, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be there. I'd, like, make a call. No, totally. I'd text somebody, at least. <laughs> Me. I would text you, dude, I don't so, think you did it. So, oops, is canceled this week? <laughs> what time are we recording? <laughs> Do you accept? I don't know. Uh, what are you doing in like 45 to life? <laughs> I don't understand. Are you arguing insanity or not? Mr. Hanks, this is extremely complicated. He does look batshit crazy. You're just going to have to trust me. Can you do that? No, I can't, Miss Dole. My future is at stake. My life. I've known you less than a week. William, you trust me, don't you? Please don't handle me. I'm not some anonymous little man to be handled. The plan is to keep you out of prison. 
but it may involve you having to hear some things in court you don't want to hear. It could also mean you having to testify. So be prepared for that. Also be prepared to be duct taped and or have your wiener shown. Depends on the judge. Mm-hmm. Your only chance at this point is to trust her, William. I can't tell. Does he not? Does he want to go to prison? Yes. Well, he he he, he wants to be. Are we going with insanity or not, Miss Dole? He wants to yes. plead insanity. He We're does not want insanity. to plead not guilty. All right. Insanity. Maybe he has some other he has some other psychological problems that no one will help him with, and so he's like, "This is the only way I can get." I always chose to drop the weapon at the scene, relieving myself of the worry of it ever being found in my possession. Slow pan past all of Bobby and Lindsay's Christmas stockings. Dispose of at the right opportunity. Why the fingernails? Souvenir, I suppose. A Hmm. fingernail is easier to remove than one might expect. Less bloody as well. How many times we got to watch it? Until we've memorized every word. This confession is their whole case. I would have probably removed all ten except for the time consumption. It takes patience to extract a fingernail without damaging it. I like them in mint condition, of course. And Great it's difficult not audio to rush when you have a dissected carcass in the room. Yes. It can make you jumpy. We will introduce more of this tape during the trial. Okay, hold on. Stop it right there. Because I'm not going to play the bumper on who's this attorney. Who is the DA here? The exciting Roland Hill. The scary Roland Hill. Because it is a... We're not supposed to know this. You've been on the show before. Guys, this is Dennis Arndt, who was last credited as D.A. Robertson as a defense attorney. Now he is the district attorney, Roland Hill. And if you are paying attention at home, because of course you are, he will be back as a third character eventually. footage that you just saw will be introduced as evidence of the defendant's clarity during his confession. His ton of media at his trial. His careful choice of words. He had just committed a murder and dismemberment three hours before this interview. This was a man in control. A man who understood the nature and the quality of the horrific acts he had committed. The evidence will show that these crimes were carried out with detailed precision, with thorough premeditation. The evidence will reveal cold-blooded murder, executions, if you will, committed by a man who knew exactly 
what he was doing. All right, Lindsay, how do you begin this? William Hinks is insane. Okay. All right. Well, straightforward. It's a sink. It's a sink, yeah. All nine victims had dogs. Mr. Hinks met all of them in various parks and streets while walking his dog. And you learned this how? All right. Detective? I need a ruling from, from his from confession. You, right? Okay. Then he would telephone so, them, always from a public phone booth. Is make this a detective date on the or stand plan here. to see them. Okay. Be led into their homes, and he'd kill he them. He is played by from Brad Greenquist. Okay. Uh, who? Uh, no, not Brad Greenquist. Oh, uh, it's John Doman, who is listed here as detective. He is was last in life sentence, but he has been credited as Officer Finley and Officer Finlay, spelled with E Y or A Y, and just as detective. So I don't think it quite counts. It's not quite a bumper worthy. But uh, he has some very inconsistent credits on this show. Yes, I think that the 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 changing of the spelling can be a cred can be uh, overlooked as long as they keep the same profession. I think we err on the side of no bumper. Okay, fair enough. Same profession. It does appear to be an attempt at the same character, but he changed his name. Yeah, if they make even a passing attempt at the name being close. And the profession remains the same. I think we we err on the side of some sort of legal ramification. Very good, very good. Did these killings appear to be acts of uncontrolled behavior? No. Why is that, sir? First of all, they were meticulous. Other than the mutilations, which of course were bloody, there was never any evidence. No fingerprints, no DNA. The weapon was always carefully placed next to the torso. The first wound was always fatal. How could you tell that? There was never a sign of a struggle. Plus, the coroner's report would always confirm this. Is it your testimony, sir, that a killer acting outside of conscious control could never act in a meticulous manner? It's not the norm. Is it possible? It's possible, but... Thank you. You've answered the question. Actually, I didn't, counsel. I'd like to complete it. It was a yes or no question. But it was evidently not a yes or no answer, Your Honor. The witness may complete his response. <clears throat> If the last victim hadn't hit that silent alarm, if we hadn't found the defendant in that basement, he'd still be out there. We called these murders the immaculate dissections because the scenes were free of evidence. Clever. I mean, clean. That takes planning, skill. He didn't just know what he was doing. He knew how to do it perfectly. Are you finished now? Yes. Thank you, detective. Nothing further. He's good. Mr. Hill? Prosecution rests, Your Honor, saving our psychiatric evidence for rebuttal. The witness may step down. The judge is played by Herb The Mitchell defense calls again. Dr. Gene Reynolds. As Judge White? All set. I, think. I don't think she did it anymore. I just think, I just think she's. they were lovers. Oh, okay. Could you state your name and occupation for the record? 
So Jane Reynolds, that she still I'm a criminal psychologist. Do it, but Could you briefly describe what you mean by criminal psychologist? Boo. It's basically how it sounds. I've spent 10 years treating patients charged with violent crimes, as well as studying behavioral patterns of repeat offenders, including the patterns of serial killers. Dr. Reynolds, did you have opportunity to treat my client, Mr. William Hanks? I did. Did you have opportunity to discuss with my client the crimes which he is currently being charged with in this trial? I did. Did you form any medical conclusion as a result of this treatment? Yes. Could you please state that opinion for the court? I do not believe Mr. Hanks killed those women. Even Mr. Hanks is shocked. He did not commit the crimes? My opinion is Mr. Hanks is suffering from delusions, secondary to schizophrenia. Basically, he thinks he killed those women. He did not. And on what do you base this opinion? On 30 hours of treatment with Mr. Hanks, as well as 10 years of practical and academic experience, I also placed Mr. Hanks under hypnosis, where he told me he did not kill those women. Objection, hearsay. Under hypnosis, the reliability of there the patient- There is no hypnosis exception to the hearsay rule. Your Honor, I would like a sidebar. Mr. Hanks, please sit down. I seek to discharge counsel. She is soliciting false testimony from this witness. Mr. Hanks, I asked She's you to sit down. Please agent. don't make me She doesn't warn represent you. my interest, nor does she represent the truth. I ask that she be removed. Mr. Hanks. Take your seat now. He's going to town. He sure is. I am very confused here. You entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Defense seeks to change that plea to a straight not guilty. Mr. Hinks never killed those women at all. This is a lie, Your Honor. Security, Whoa. take Mr. Hinks into custody. I will see counsel in chambers now. With my Boston accent. <clears throat> He's pissed. So they're changing the plea against the will of the defendant. What the hell's going on? He didn't commit the crimes. Wait a second. It was your intent all along to argue this? Yes. You committed a fraud on the court, counsel. You filed an affirmative defense oh, of insanity. we commit frauds all the time. We That's had what to. we do over it. You had Fra to? Dole and yes. Bobby. We had to keep it from our client. That necessitated keeping it from the court. You kept your strategy from your client? Your Honor, he's delusional. He not only thinks he did it, he wants others to think he did it, which precluded us And you going... should have had him declared incompetent to stand trial. He would have passed the competency is test easily and we'd be right doing, back in court. Is he just like, that's just how he talks? Uh, uh, no, I mean, it is definitely... I, I don't know the Boston accent well enough to say whether or not that's a particularly good one, but it is very clearly either a, a great one or a, an attempt at one. He sounds a little bit like Joey Biden, doesn't he? Pack like, the cat and have it, yeah, that's Boston. You do well, not yeah, commit a fraud on the court Boston or the district attorney. Wow. These circumstances yeah, warranted us. No, they Your did Honor. not, counsel. <laughs> yes, they did, Darryl Your Honor. Honor. With all due respect, <laughs> William Hinks was prepared to let himself be convicted for a crime he didn't commit. That's a bigger fraud. A fraud that leaves the real killer still out there. And how do we know that this isn't a trick? If the defendant has not agreed to the change of plea, he has an automatic grounds for a new trial. This isn't a trick. You have my word as an officer of the court. That doesn't solve it. You cannot change the plea without the client's consent. The man has fired two previous attorneys who wanted to prove his innocence because he doesn't want to be innocent. We had to keep him in the dark, and that meant keeping the court in the dark. And if he loses, his next lawyer will be in here arguing your incompetency for filing... Look! This is an unusual thing here. 
We got a defendant whose sickness prevents him from wanting to be found innocent. If we had pled straight not guilty, he would have fired us, like he fired the two guys before us. He would have went out and eventually found a lawyer to tell his lie. And as I said, in our minds, that would have been the biggest fraud. It's a good point, Jimmy. Good job. Yeah. Who the hell do you think you are? I'm your doctor, William. No, you're not. Do you get that? No, you are not. You are all discharged. But, that, that, that's that whiplash again, though. Rational, straight-thinking, good Jimmy here. But, you know, not but, quote-unquote, one week ago, he was, like, hard-ass, emotionally well, repressed. I guess it, they're separate things. They're separate things because, like, his him as a, like, friend as a political thing it's different from the strategy that they're doing a legal strategy right uh you know we're not we're just recording the audio here keith but you've got this weird icon above your head i don't know if you know see that it's Ooh, like I a do. temperature color temperature <laughs> thought that weird. was the easter egg for a minute and i was like what the hell's that <laughs> oh fun can't happen the judge has ordered us to stay on William, you are ill. You think you committed those crimes. Under hypnosis, you admitted to me you didn't. Maybe I was lying under hypnosis. You think about that? Maybe I was in denial. For God's sake, I killed nine women. I can't be in denial. William, all I care about for this discussion is keeping you out of prison. Why, so I can get mental treatment for my disorder? Is the most David E. Kelly thing would be he gets found not guilty and then goes and kills some people. That's the secret plan? Absolutely. I'm testifying. We don't think that's- I have a, a right to testify, Ms. Dole. If I'm competent to stand trial, I'm competent to make this decision. I will be getting into that witness chair. You cannot prevent that. I'm testifying. Yeah. This dude's out of his goddamn mind. <laughs> so what do you think so far? And I while see, under hypnosis, what did you say? It's still unclear to me. It's interesting. Uh, there's so much to parse, but still, I just still don't see enough to have done this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It seems to me like they had plenty of evidence. I mean, no, no physical evidence, which I think guess is is pretty shocking. So, but for a serial, uh, a, uh, an obsessive serial killer, I guess it's not that shocking. But a detailed confession like that is uh, pretty compelling. Yeah, yeah, sure is. But uh, you know, that said, you know, I made a joke about it before, but I, I stand by it. If Lindsay was. If she just somebody that she took an art class with could compel her to go do a free L.A. case, uh, this I guess is more than enough to take on this one. Oh, for sure. Well, much I mean, better exposure too. And there's certainly a lot of uh, ambiguity here, right? About the basement, that he'd heard about the crime on his police radio, together with the suspicion that it was this same killer, and went to the scene. Police were all over it, so he broke into the basement two houses away. I renew my hearsay objection. Naked. This is all being asserted basement. as the truth. Mr. Hill, your objection is noted and overruled. 
Did he say why he went into that basement? No. I can only guess on some level he wanted to be caught. Dr. Reynolds, aside from what he told he you under hypnosis, to talk about murders he'd do you done have any other ago. reason to believe he did not commit these crimes? Well, as I said, I've studied the patterns of serial killers. These people often have some displaced anger. I didn't find Mr. Hinks to have a lot of anger, if any. He's seen these killings on the front pages of our newspapers, and he somehow convinced himself he's the object of all these headlines. Ever know a patient to fake being under hypnosis? I don't think Mr. Hinks was My faking. question was, ever know a patient to fake being under hypnosis? Yes. And if this patient suffered from a delusion, doctor, wouldn't he suffer from the same delusion under hypnosis? Yes, usually the delusion would persist under hypnosis. Didn't that make you suspicious? I was extremely suspicious. What is the IQ of Mr. Hinks, if you know? It's high. And is it your testimony, then, that you make no room for the possibility that he faked being under hypnosis to tell his little tale of innocence? I not only considered it, Mr. Hill, I at first suspected it. Um, but when he kept no. his... Well, not that I recall. So I, I had to go to the ther a therapist when I was a, a y very young, uh, five or six, I believe. And I don't remember specifically what was happening. I know we were dealing with some rage issues. I used to chase my brother around with a hammer and I was sort of obsessively connected to my mom. Um, so we dealt with that in sort of like specific ways. And I remember some, I can't remember if hypnosis was part of it, but uh, I think it may have been. But more more recently, at least, my uh, sister and my brother-in-law both visited a, hip, a hypno, uh, hypnotist. Hypnothe hypnotherapist. Hypnotherapist. Probably. My sister for uh, some trichotillomania, she had, she, her anxiety, she, she pulls her hair out. And mm -hmm. so she had this little bald spot in my brother-in-law for uh, smoking. And he gave, not only hypnotized them, but also gave them little tapes to listen to at bed, these hypnosis tapes. Uh, to report back, my sister no longer has the issue. She stopped. And my brother-in-law still chain smokes. So, uh, yeah. no, Interesting. Unclear. I've, I've always been so curious about it because I've, I have never been hypnotized. I I feel like I'm too much of a control freak to ever allow it to happen. I'm not even sure I'd be capable of being hypnotized, but perhaps I'm overstating it. But it's, yeah. it is always something that's made me curious. I'm very curious as well. In fact, maybe that'd be an interesting experiment to, to do. I am less skeptical of it than, uh, than I used to be. I, I'm more open to it, especially as... You know, the past few years has shown me that therapy has been so so successful for me that I, I I don't I'm not pessimistic about that technique. However, especially since my therapist actually began with me a lot of um, uh, free association techniques and laying down on the couch that I thought were all hinky, but it's actually much more mm, how my oh, brain for works. Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> you know, I'd be open to it. However, I will say I was for a while very skeptical of it because. I had done a ton of research and uh, on um, cold readers when it comes to psychics. Oh, well, sure. So for a long time, I lumped those as one and the same because, you know, a lot of the performative hypnos hypnotists, you know, that you see on TV. Oh, are like, oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Are much more like, oh, it's much more bullshit. But I think if we really parse it down to hypnotherapy, I I'm, I'm less pessimistic. Yeah, and I'm, I I'm definitely not dismissing that it works or that it is a valid thing. I'm just curious, like, if I would ever 
be able to be hypnotized because I'm such a control freak. Well, it's more than that to me. Like what I find, what I, and this episode is highlighting it. What I find kind of a gray area is I'm not saying that it can't be very therapeutic in many ways, but you know, a lot of times you hear of people who are unearthing accusations of, of abuse or repressed abuse, abuse memories through hypnosis and things. And I'm not discounting any of that. And uh, I, but it's a slippery slope, right? Like the, the, the subconscious is such a, is a very bizarre and, and unknown place. So it's hard to, to, to really parse what's fact and what is, uh, I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking for? Delusion, not delusion, suggestive. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's It's very curious. Yeah. Well, the human mind is very curious, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm very much a believer in, in uh, repressed memory. I think I deal with some of it myself, but I also, but also like our memory isn't one-to-one. We don't remember, you know, uh, security tapes of our life. So, you know, like, and piecing it together. And my memory is very shoddy in a lot of ways. And, yeah, well, and we talk so, about it every week, right? This, this yeah. day in the basement has turned out to be such a, I talk about it in therapy all the time because it, I, like I've mentioned multiple occasions, this period of time is so fractured in my brain. And mm. I, I tell myself that I've just repressed it and or it's gone away. I've smoked it away. But the truth is, is that's not true. As you start, you can access it. And like you said, it's, it's a, a stained glass window. You know, it's it's different colored and it's not fully realized. It's different shards of memory. It's yeah. it's it's fascinating. Well, and I in in so much of my memory is less in facts and events and people and as it is like emotions, mm. sensations, sensations within the body like it's it it's uh it, there's this great book on trauma called The Body Keeps the Score which is a I highly recommend if you have any interest in that world about how your physical body remembers stuff even if your your conscious memory doesn't allow you to access it. Anyway, well, we we've been talking for so long my physical body doesn't even remember what the episode's about. So let's get back to it. Yeah, yeah. Insisting that his lawyers not declare him to be innocent when he fired lawyers for endeavoring to prove his innocence. I knew then he couldn't be faking. Well, she's simply wrong. What more can I tell you? Dr. Gale, did you consider that this could be a false confession? Stanley Anderson it's one of the first things that we Gale? looked for, but in Mr. Hink's case, I determined his confession to be genuine. And on what did you base this opinion, sir? I've been a clinical and forensic psychologist for 33 years now. It's what I do. And contrary to Dr. Reynolds' findings, I consider Mr. Hink's to be consumed with rage. He lived alone with his mother growing up. Though not physically abusive, she was emotionally punishing. The gruesome acts committed here the dissection of the bodies, these are acts of hatred. These murders are very much about punishment. Dr. Gale, I'm going to play for you a portion of his confession. If I could have figured out a way to dismember them alive, I would have done so. But fear of getting caught was a deterrent there. That's that's pretty angry. Still, I would have so loved to have extended that look of pain in their faces. A look of horror. It's a thing of beauty. But look on the face of a woman who knows she's about to die. Jesus. They write in the papers, why do they do it? Why do these killers do it over and over and over? It's that look. 
mean, God, what a performance. You think you'll kill again? Oh, yes. Here's the oopsie bunny. I'll get out of this. You just watch. And I'll know the joy of that look again. No, this is aided by the scoring here, which is pretty indicative. Indicatory. Even if Hanks were to somehow learn all about those crimes to the point of being able to fool law enforcement, and that's an extremely unlikely if, you cannot fake a psychosis like that. Sitting at that table is the man who mutilated those women. And he's smiling. He You're paying attention, Well, Jerry. you got your wish, William. After watching that last footage, I'm sure everyone thinks you did it, including the jury. Other than lying to me, you've tried an excellent case. You should both feel good about yourselves. Do you truly appreciate where you'll be going? In this life or the next? This one. I'm talking about the maximum security hell where prisoners have special feelings for men who mutilate women. Well, it's my turn now, I suppose. I still would like to testify. Of course you would. I don't see the harm at this point. What else is left? Not much. We've got an expert yeah. on tire tracks that could place Those his car maybe yeah, in I'm some not of sure the areas. What could possibly it's be going wrong. They'll establish he has no error. alibi. Big deal. He says that himself. We're almost done. Are you winning or losing? Well, that depends on the goal, Eugene. I think he's looking at a conviction, but to the client, that seems to be a victory. And why does he want to testify exactly? Because if my soul is to be offered any chance at redemption, I must make a full confession. And God would like you to do that under oath? God would like me to be open and notorious with my evil, yes. What'd you do with the gloves? It's a good quote. I'm sorry? The killer always wore latex gloves to avoid leaving prints or oils behind. On the night you were caught, the gloves were never found. What'd you do with them? As I told the police, I have no actual memory of how I disposed of them. And again, as I told the police, if I were to guess, I threw them in the fire and burnt them. Actually, you didn't make that guess in your confession. You made it much later after it was reported that there was a fire burning. The police found no residue of the gloves in the fireplace. Did you know that? Is it possible nobody could find the gloves because the real killer took them? I am the real killer, Ms. Dole. How come you didn't know the second victim had cancer? Something which was never released to the media, coincidentally, something you didn't know when you confessed. I didn't give them physicals, counsel. I just removed their heads. This one's head had a wig on it. You decapitated her but didn't know she had a wig? Even the sickest of criminals knows not to mess with a woman's hair. What a clever answer. Comedian? Women have a thing about their nails, too. You messed with them. Actually, I never so much as scraped a nail. I removed them in perfect condition. What happened to them? I beg your pardon? You said in your confession you took them as souvenirs. People keep souvenirs. What'd you do with them? That I won't tell. Come on, Mr. Hanks. This is confession time. We're trying to redeem a soul here. What'd you do with the fingernails? There are some things I will take to my grave. That's one. You don't know where they are because you never took them. I did. All of them? Every victim? Every victim. What about the fingernails on the last victim, Mr. Hanks? They went the way of the gloves? I swallowed them. Good call. 
What about the fifth victim, Mr. Hanks? Angela Barton, you remember her? Pretty. Quick-tempered, lost her head easily. Clever again. Zing! Did you remove her fingernails? One by one. Made difficult because she bit them. You didn't take her nails, Mr. Hanks. Not Angela Barton's. The police conceal information for the purpose of flushing out phony confessions. In your confession, you talked about removing Ms. Barton's nails before you incise the hands. The thing is, Mr. Hanks, when you go to trial, the prosecution has to hand over all exculpatory evidence, even the stuff the police concealed. And what I've now learned, the nails of Angela Barton were never removed. It was reported that they were. Such a gotcha sort of factoid, but they, they told us that in the first 10 minutes, so I'm interested to see where they go with it from here. Well, they, they did, but they're talking about it, but he doesn't know that they know that. And, I mean, I love this whole setup because it's such a twist on all of this because you're, you're proving somebody innocent by making them prove they're guilty. Yeah, he really thinks he's a Joey Herrick. You know what I mean? But he's... Right. Yeah. So you confess to doing it. But is it too little too late is my question. So I forgot. It was four victims ago. They blend. You forgot. You forgot a lot of things, Mr. Hinks. You could never remember the colors of carpets, the layouts of rooms, the types of drapes. I was killing people. You think I was going to take time out to notice fabric? This killer noticed everything. He was meticulous. Please don't talk about me as if I were not in the room. What about the 10th victim? There were nine. Nine reported. There was a 10th. Never confirmed to be one of the serial victims because she died by a gunshot wound. Objection. Overruled. Her fingernails were also pulled out, limbs and head amputated. Your work, Mr. Hanks? Objection. She's deliberately... Ask the counsel not interrupt or steer the witness. Mr. Hill, you will sit and remain quiet. Hell yeah. Your work, Mr. Hanks, or another killer who likes fingernails? I didn't think the police knew about that one. So it was your so work. So fascinating, and this is what I love about this performance, is we see him think through each of these things. When he's mm -hmm. a little bit cornered, you see him thinking through how he's going to respond. And even though he's not really moving a muscle, nothing is changing physically on him, but, the, but you can tell the actor is doing the, the gears grinding in the most subtle way. It's so cool. It's so good. Yeah, and Kelly Williams and uh, Michael Emerson have uh, really great chemistry here. Yeah. Your work, Mr. Hanks? He's got to decide. Is she yes. bullshitting? Oh. Funny. I made it up. Yep. You're a fraud. You've never hurt anybody. I first plan killed B, baby. those people. No, you didn't. I killed those baby. people, Ms. Dole. Your doctors discover you're delusional. You're just an anonymous little man. I who... killed those women as quickly and surely as I would kill you. Mr. Hanks. I did it. I'm famous. Mm -hmm. You see my pictures in the papers because I did it. Mr. Hanks, you would lower this your voice. This is mine. I, I killed them and you can't take it away. Still don't know that it's enough, Keith. You can't. You can't. What a performance. Yeah, man. 
Okay, Mr. Hanks. You win. Mr. Hinks, I was just trying to decide whose performance was better here, yours or Ms. Dole's. Objection. Sustained. I have nothing for Mr. Hinks. Dennis Arndt also giving a great performance. Yeah, it's very excellent. I think maybe we've won. It's not over. You haven't heard him close. Oh, what a perfect setup. It's closing time. Time to put your case to bed. It's closing time. Otherwise your client's dead. Quite literally. Woo! She set me up perfect. No physical evidence, no witnesses, just a confession from a paranoid schizophrenic man suffering from delusions, a man desperate to believe he's something he's not. You heard his treating psychologist. You saw him in that witness chair. He's ill, but he's not the sick man who committed those crimes. For this so-called confession, he was armed only with information that had been published somewhere. Stuff that he'd cut out, downloaded, printed, plastered all over his walls. The things that weren't public information, like the fingernails still being on the fifth victim, oh, he somehow forgot that. Mr. Hanks, as part of his illness, is desperate to believe he's the one. The prosecution, as a result of public pressure, is desperate to believe he's the one. I think on some level, we all are. Because we want this sick person, whoever he is, off the street. But if we really, truly want this killer captured, we better send the message to the police that they better keep looking. Because it's not William Hinks. Good close. All right, what you got, Dennis Arntz? Aren't just... I have never been on a case where the defense pled insanity only to then, in the middle of trial, suddenly declare that he didn't do it at all, and then to follow that with the defendant taking the stand to say that he did. Sounds crazy, but it isn't crazy, ladies and gentlemen. It's brilliant and very carefully orchestrated. We're dealing with a sick, dark, but brilliant chess player. A man who met eight women, eight different women, got admitted to their homes, murdered them, leaving virtually no evidence, not a hair, not a bead of sweat, nothing. Then he met his ninth victim, and though she let him in like the eight others had before her, she was also able to set off a silent alarm. Mr. Hinks still was able to commit the murder and do his immaculate cleanup, 
But when it came time to leave, the police were coming, and this time he had to take flight to seek cover in a neighboring basement. And this time he was caught. He knew the police would search his apartment and find those clippings and those website printouts. He knew that he could offer no alibis for those eight other killings. He knew that the police would know they had the right guy. Well, to get out of this now, Mr. Hinks would have to be at his most ingenious, wouldn't he? So, he gives a confession. Careful to provide most details, but also careful to leave out a few. And then, while under the pretense of being hypnotized while being treated, he tells a different story. A story of innocence. And he hopes that this therapist will become his pawn. Well... Dr. Reynolds is no pushover. She's a gifted psychologist, one likely capable of detecting a sham. And though he had her mostly convinced, he knew that she remained doubtful. According to her own testimony, it was only after Mr. Hinks fired his previous attorneys that she finally decided he was not faking his delusions. He got her. And he needed her. You see, to have any chance at an acquittal, Mr. Hinks needed this therapist to sell you. And in order to keep her convinced enough, he had to keep insisting that he did it, and he had to keep insisting that his lawyers not say otherwise, all the while needing a lawyer who would say otherwise over his feigned protests. Enter Ms. Dole, pawn number two. Mr. Hinks needed an attorney who would find a way to plead not guilty in spite of being told not to. Sound complicated? You bet. Hard to pull off? Absolutely. Far-fetched? Maybe. <laughs> but let's consider what he's pulled off before. Not many people can commit eight murders without leaving a single clue. He did. Then he met his ninth, and we got him. We finally got him. And in order to get off, he would have to come up with something masterful. He did. You want to give him an Academy Award for his wrenching performance on the witness stand? You do it, but don't you dare give him an acquittal. Don't you dare. You don't want him out there looking for number 10. Pretty compelling, Keith, I gotta say. Let us all give Dennis Art a slow clap. That is like four consecutive pages of dialogue. He just knocked out of the park. Just talk about memorizing yeah. that entire... It's like a play. So they sprung for fake snow for this episode. Lindsay's staring him down. How long? I expect this one to take a while. It's close. His closing was good, wasn't it? Extremely. He kind of sold me. <laughs> Such a great, I mean, this guy's facial acting is insane. Like, that's good insane. Good insane. Insanely good.
There's a visual tete-a-tete going here. It is amazing. All three of them just communicated Did you know I planned to yank the insanity plea and go straight not guilty? I had a pretty good idea. When you wouldn't tell me the strategy and you said I might be testifying, I figured that's what you were planning. What if I hadn't? Wasn't that sort of a risk? (laughs) Considering my plight, Ms. Dole, I was in a position to take risks. Besides, I was poised to suffer a mental breakdown and at least secure a mistrial if you stuck with insanity. Why didn't you just let me talk you into going not guilty over your objection? Because Dr. Reynolds was measuring me every single step along the way. I had to cling to my delusions. Without her completely sold, I didn't stand a chance. And what perhaps she didn't tell you, she wasn't completely sure. She thought I was innocent. But her medical conclusions were far more precarious than she ever let on. I couldn't risk losing her. Okay. Why not feign improvement? Take medication, then you could have just testified and said, I thought I killed them, but now I know I didn't. It was far too self-serving. So he is Joey Herring. When you murder nine people, the jury is not looking for a reason to let you go. Things have to be Yo, they hook, line, and sinkered me, Keith. (laughs) Hook, line, and sinkered me. If you get off, you're going to kill again? Mr. Berluti, if I tell you I'm about to kill again, you don't have to honor privilege. And you can repeat everything I'm telling you now. But nice try. So things went just as you planned in there. I certainly didn't plan for Mr. Hill to be so good in his closing. If he convinced you, I hardly feel overconfident. What about the latex gloves on the last victim? Burned in the fireplace. The police are shoddy. Oh, verdict. Poor Lindsay. She already been. Uh... <laughs> More snow falling. Well, we're definitely gonna have some uh, fodder for the rest of the season, huh? If he gets off. All right. Mr. Hinks, will you please rise? Madam Foreperson, the jury has a final verdict. We do, Your Honor. What say you? Commonwealth versus William Hinks. Counts one through nine of murder in the first degree. We find the defendant, William Hinks, not guilty. (laughs) All right. Fuck me. Members of the jury, your service here is completed. Mr. Hinks, you have been declared not guilty. You are free to go. Fuck me. This court is adjourned. Lindsay's friend fucked her hard. So hard. And now with double jeopardy, it's yes. good forever. Thank you. Thank you both. Mr. Hanks, about the fingernails, sir? Can you keep them back, please? Unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Reynolds. I suppose your heart was in the right place. Yeah. Listen, William, this gets you out, but you still need treatment. Will you let me help you? Let me think about that, all right? You really need to get help. I'll call you. You know, you know Lindsay should probably say something. Yeah. To her, her friend here. Privilege. You did yeah. it, Lindsay. Incredible. 
Were you really sure he was innocent? Was I sure? No. I'll probably never be 100% sure. He knew that. Sorry? Nothing. Well, he's not out of the woods unless he gets treatment. Let him go, Jeannie. He's ill, Lindsay. Everything doesn't just end with a Jeannie? trial. Sorry to say. That's not foreshadowing. Especially I don't know what is. One. Listen to Lindsay. Let him go. You know, Keith, I didn't need this today. God <laughs> damn it. We gonna fade? God damn it. Then we faded. <laughs> oh, shit. You know... We'll talk about it. Go back to YouTube, everybody. I've got thoughts, and I've got to, I've got to let them out. So uh, we'll see you back on YouTube in just a moment. Mr. Hinks has come to town. Yeah, he went to town, all right. On my feelings, on my emotions, on just about everything that uh, I, I, hold, I hold true to myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's... Uh... Let's give you an opportunity to tell us why in... Mike has 30 seconds to remember what just happened on the show. Y'all, Mr. Hinks went to fucking town. Uh, Lindsay's friend, who's a psychotherapist, tells her that her client's innocent and she thinks she figured it out through hypnosis, but turns out the only thing going back and forth was this guy's uh, premeditation. He planned seven steps ahead. He, the queen's gambited the chess out of this shit. He did it, told her he didn't do it, played like he did do it through a confession. And at the end of the day, he gets out of prison and says he might kill again. And Lindsay's like, damn. Woo, we should have said spoiler alert before we did that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that, isn't that what, here's what happened on the show is, isn't it I, just? I, a, yeah, that's true. It is in itself a spoiler yeah. alert. Woo. Wow. All that, right. I mean, Hold on, let's just talk about it for a minute. Yeah. Um, the the forethought that went into writing that is absolutely extraordinary because you start with the end game, right? The end game is right, and and the and the 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 hoops to jump through is the whole time you have to you have to convince us early that you we figured it out, right? Right. That, that we've solved the riddle, and that we're. And and if you can really thread the needle, we start to root for him getting found not guilty. Right, right. And that that, that is that is the master that is the chess that David E. Kelly's playing there. Now you can write that perfectly, as it pretty close to is, but yet if any of the performances wink and nod or mm -hmm. give up the game too soon or they're too skeptical even from Jimmy's sort of side eye in the very beginning right you you can ruin it and there were so many things that could have ruined it i guess this is why it's such a well-renowned episode oh yeah i mean it, and we'll and we'll get into it once we get into the oopsies but there are so many performances here that have to be calibrated absolutely pitch perfectly and of course we're going to talk about michael everson don't worry uh, but to to be able to walk the audience, it's the direction as well, and the editing and the and the writing. But to be able to walk us through that journey, because David had to get us through like six different points in the journey. He had to take us from, oh my god, this guy totally did it. He's horrible. He's a monster. 
get us to, oh my God, he didn't do it. I hope he gets off and then turn it all around. And as a, as a writer, that's a, that's a challenge. Ooh, I'm big again. You got big again. Well, you'll shrink once we play the oopsie intro, which I've determined from last episode, Keith, you're not going to hear, but you should be normal sized at the conclusion of it. I will trust you. Yes. Keep talking big because that's kind of funny. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the Out of Practice Podcast, in unofficial, unsolicited, unfactual association with David E. Kelly Productions, proudly present... Oopsie! The Oopsies! Celebrating excellence in acting good, lawyering good, guesting good, and being Tom Brady. Not to mention, this is where we rate the episode and stuff. Now, here are your hosts, Keith and Mike! What the hell are the oopsies? Well, they are a fake award show that we give out at the end of every episode, starting with... Most Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Well, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, this is like it's like Inception. Is this is the top spinning? I don't even. uh, Well, Lindsay, valuable to what? (laughs) Because Lindsay sure fucking ate some shit here. Uh, Well, we we get into results versus effort versus consequences. I mean, and then what's the, what's the, what was the DA's name? Uh, it was the character Roland name? Hill. ADA Ro- Roland Hill. ADA, ADA Roland Hill lost his case, but damn, he presented a great case. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. We have, this actually, Keith, is, mm. is an episode that calls into question everything Phoenix has, has brought to our attention. And you and I, yeah. for never yeah. solidifying the actual rules, god damn it. I'm giant again. It's Skype, man. I'm telling you, it's Skype. Uh, Keith Cam. I'll be giant. Oh, all right. I'm normal again. So, I mean, if we're looking at the just general pop and like women in general, I feel like everybody's lost here. Well, yeah, it's... I think we have can to... Can we award... Can we award his previous two lawyers who... Who got fired, though? Yeah. I mean... All right. I'll, I'll, I have an idea. Okay. You I'm, want me I don't to know. start? I'm, I'm a little stumped, yeah. All right. I'll start. Uh, I think you could make really excellent arguments for three different people in this situation. Okay. One, Lindsay. Obviously, she secured... An acquittal. Her job was to secure an acquittal. She did. She uh, did some excellent lawyering, catching him in the lie. She gave a good close. She did objectively a really good job with a really difficult, crazy case. Also, you could argue it for ADA Roland Hill, who gave such a good closing that he may not have convinced the jury, but he convinced opposing counsel of the guilt of her own client. Ladies oh, and boy. So, oh, boy. What's happening pop- over oh, there? Oh, boy. 
boy. Unsolicited, ah. unfactual association ah, with no. David E. Kelly what Productions. Oh, boy. That, oh. you know, we were close. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, you, he, uh, Harold Hill. So, uh, Harold Hill, yes. Uh, 76 trombones. No, uh, he was able to convince opposing counsel of the... Uh, <laughs> that their client was guilty and actually elicit a real confession from the, uh, from the client in that situation. But I am going to go in a third direction and I'm going to give it to Mr. Hinks because who was the puppet master of this whole thing? Who controlled both sides of the equation? Who actually like actually secured his acquittal? who had a plan, who played everybody. He did the performance. He he lay, he doled out all the information correctly. He remembered which things to forget intentionally, what things to get wrong, how to manipulate the entire system. I have to give it to Hanks. Uh, okay. Uh, however, for the same reason that we can't... Like, by our rules, we would never have given... Uh, Holland Taylor or the Emmy because she's not she wasn't a full cast member at the time. Hinks is not a lawyer, so so awarding but him no, most. But we have we have precedent. We have given it to Lucy before. We have given it to non lawyers before. Respect well, precedent. Okay. Well, if that's the case, if we're gonna, I mean, it's a slippery slope, but it's our <laughs> podcast. Goddamn it. <laughs> yes, I mean he was the puppet master. He was. In a, you know what? At the end of the season, oh, Jen's back. At the end hey, of the season, she's she's barrel rolling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jen, you you want to hop into a cage and roll around in the background? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's a slippery slope, but I, well, at, like I said, at the season five, oopsie spectacular, we gotta put Joey Herrick and Mr. Hanks head to head because we've got some chess playing. To be, to be done. Oh, for oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, for the for the final, final, final oopsies series finale oopsies, we'll have to have a category for guy. criminal mastermind. Yeah. All right. You know what, Mr. Hanks? It. I'm in. Hanks, I did it. Most valuable lawyer is me. I now, got Keith, the serial killer in MVL. Yeah, that's what you. That was your plan all along, Keith. You hinked me from the beginning. That was my plan. <laughs> oh well, I think I, at least this next one's going to be a little easier. Uh, yeah, this one should not be that difficult. Although, honestly, there's a great options. argument. Yes, yes. Already famous because you've been on TV. Getting a paycheck. Watch first entry on your IMDb. Way to go. But you're the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor. You are the best guest actor on the episode. Found guitar Ooh, picks. Ooh, got picks. Nice. Well, yeah, Emerson, I think, is going to win the oopsie. But, uh, Keith, why don't you go for the honorable mention shout-outs, of which right. there are uh, a plethora. Yeah, but before we gush about Michael Emerson for a long time, obviously, Dennis Arndt did a spectacular God job. God damn, yeah. As the DA, that closing was extraordinary. He did a... He's He has such an ability to... to just radiate authority... And and that was such a diff like his his closing the like five pages of dialogue he had to do all by itself. You know it it gets into like what makes this show so good is that they would dare 
I should go back and check. Like, just how long was that? Three, four minutes of consecutive monologuing by one person yeah, on network I, television. And also, if I'm not mistaken, it was a one shot. I mean, I don't know that we we edited in different angles that would that would institute a cut. It felt it felt like a one shot to me. Well, it, it, whether it was or whether it wasn't, it felt like it. And again, right. that also speaks to the work that Dennis did. And not the least of which he has to explain, and this is also David's work, but to explain this incredibly convoluted uh, setup that Hinks has done, that we all understand it and and we're following it, where we're, he holds our attention and then walks us through this thing as a as a lawyer's work. It was extraordinary work, um, and as an actor's work, it was extraordinary work. So in any other episode, you'd get an oopsie. Unfortunately. You're going up against one of, I think, one of the greatest performances we've ever seen on this show. It's up there. I think it's from, up there. From Michael Emerson. and Because of the, we talk, I've talked about it during the episode, uh, if you don't listen to the middle segment, you're missing the best part of the Oreo, but uh, because of the, the tricky, tricky plot device that was asked of Emerson. Right. You know, or, uh, yeah. Yeah, Michael because, Emerson, yeah. Yeah, because he couldn't give away the game. He had to play the play within the play. Right. Right. And and he had to not give away the game on multiple levels. He had to not give away the game to the audience, but also not give away the game within the game within 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 the world of the show. So he had to play it ambiguous on several different layers while the character's objective is to be unambiguous, to be very clear about what's happening. Like he is, he's desperately trying to get us to believe he did it so that we can believe he didn't do it. And yeah. It, and, and the, the work as an actor that you have to go back to that, like Keith said, that fundamental, what am I trying to achieve here? And then how many layers of artists do I have to, does the character have to, Right, pile right. on top of that in order to get the set achievement. And then on top of that, I have to juxtapose that with what am I as as the show, as the narrative of the show trying to achieve? And how can right. I marry those things? Right. And that is not always an easy thing. On top of that, you have to take the tools you have as an actor, which is just sort of your being, right? And he has those sort of, like I said during the episode, those insane eyes. So we right. have to think, where is that aiding me? Where is that playing against me and how do right. I how do I then um I want to say mollify I'm not sure if that's the word I'm looking for I, how do I merge those two things yeah and uh he did it cuz if you, I jumped through about every hoop and I I as you saw I went on the roller coaster ride and yep. I was I bought I bought it and yeah I, I, it's, and, that's, well, it's a the, stunning achievement and the other thing is uh I think that's really hard to act is a character making a mistake, mm. right? And so, when well, when when Lindsay is cross-examining him, he has to act the character acting as though he's made a mistake. He has to act the character pretending that he doesn't know what to say, that he's cornered, and like just the the layers of the onion of the artifice that he has to accomplish in there. And then he just does, he just lands every 
element of that. We should shout out the therapist again. Oh, Rebecca Kreskoff. Yeah, and we'll talk about it more in tires because the all of this also hinges on us believing that she is right. Even right? though she hedges her bets here and there, especially at the end, which felt a little, maybe if I was going to find a nit to pick, they shoe in, they shoehorned in her doubt a little bit late there. You know, well, but from but from her perspective, right? If her objective, the character's objective, is to get this guy off, is to convince other people to fight for him, she's also doing a performance, hiding her doubt, so that Lindsay would take this case. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, that we can it, we can split that we can if, split that. So she later. goes in to to Lindsay's office and says, like, he might not be guilty. I don't know. I don't know. That's not going to get her. She wants a zealous defense for her client, even if she is unsure. And the only way to do that is to express that you're sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the tale of this story that I find really interesting, and maybe we visit later, I don't know, is how long he had to play her on as a therapist. Like, what was that chess game to get finally well, convince she, her? Well, she said that they worked for 30 hours. Oh, right. So probably 30 sessions he had to keep this up. And this, you know, he is sort of, a, a he is a better Moriarty because, you know, Joey, Joey Herrick is also asked to be a comedic character in many ways. Right. You know, and whereas this is not that. So we've yet to have the sort of pure down the middle, evil master. Right, he's, he's the not comedic version of Joey. Yeah. Whereas, but also Joey's arrogance is always his Achilles heel. Whereas this guy's sort of malevolence has not shown an Achilles heel yet. He just crushed it. So. Yeah, and in fact, you know what? Thinking back also to just this performance is that one scene on the VHS where he's talking about his hatred towards women, right. that's the one time where you're like, fuck, that doesn't seem fake. Like, that seems pretty straight and right. real. And then now looking back with all the knowledge of how it turns out, it was. And so right. even it that was, slight was- distinction is like, he, that is an actor making that so. Yeah. Well, and, and that's and that's the thing. Like he, as the actor, chose to let the character accidentally reveal some truth while telling the truth as a way to accomplish a lie. Yeah. I mean, good lord. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> like, All right. So well, there you go. Crazy. All right. Well, uh, Michael, Michael Emerson, congratulations on your best guest actor. Next up. You killed your podiatrist or blew the case But you let a single tear run down your face You're the best actor on the show Well, I mean, yeah, we just said it. I mean, shout-outs to all those people. Uh, I wish we could give it to Emerson here again. He he his it was that good. <laughs> best guest and best actor. Yes. But I think both both Michael Bataluco and Kelly Williams really really played excellent parts in this show. And I'm you know, even at the beginning when we, we lament that Rebecca's not getting her due or Eugene for that matter. Uh I think this pairing of actors was excellent. Bobby, I think, would have demanded too much. He's his presence is just too much for this. I think it would have it would have drawn the focus from where it needed to be. Yeah, Kelly was so specific. It was like everything she did with with, with Lindsay this week 
was like a scalpel. The precision carving out the performance was so precise. And she had to carry that doubt all the way through, right? Because she was trying to she was trying to catch him while defending him, and then at the end make that realization. And still, I thought we know, as does Kelly Williams clearly, that she's she doesn't want to overplay her hand as like this person who's been victimized. But we need to we need to know it's there, and especially in that scene where he's quote unquote confessing the fraud. and sh- or she's uncovering it, right? The, the deadly precision there—that's a great scene, also. Yeah. And, and I don't want to overlook Bataluka because he he was doing the same with less dialogue. Yep. But I, I think I think Kelly Williams for me was just the precision was was no, to I, be rewarded. I th- I think that's exactly the right word for her performance and for the episode as a whole. Yeah. That that the the precision necessary to pull all of this off. The scalpel-like acting and writing and editing and directing that had to happen for this is really quite something. And I, w- I was going to save it for uh, for tires, but I, I think you brought up the scene where we figure it out. And there's that, if, if you just listen to it, you sh- you're doing yourself a disservice. You need to get onto Hulu and watch this. Because there's there's like 10 seconds of dead air which is just the three of them doing nonverbal acting as we watch on Lindsay's face her figure it out. And we watch Emerson's just little smirk, just the tiniest little thing, which reveals... So she figures it out. We see it register on her face. Now, a bad show would go like, oh my God, and say something. It would be a musical sting, but it was just the tiniest twitch of the eye, which she, she got it. Then he, in the tennis game of nonverbal acting, then he sees her twitch, gives her a twitch to confirm, yes, you are right. And then we see Michael make the same realization. That little symphony of nonverbal acting, subtle nonverbal acting that told so much of the story. And again, that's also the direction. Yeah, we talk about it often, the giving them that air to let them, when you know you've got the, the caliber of actors that, that David and directors know, uh, they let them play, and I think that's to the show's credit, uh, clearly. And to dare to let it be subtle, to let that realization be just like a, oh, just all internal. It's so je ne soir. Anyway, uh, yes, obviously, I think it's Kelly Williams as well. Get your best actor. Okay, now for something much more serious. The Tom Brady Award for being Tom Brady. Uh, Timon Tom Brady, right here. Uh, no affiliation to the Walt Disney Company or corporation. Uh, I want to uh, be quick with this because we have a lot to say in tires, I'm sure. Uh, but so I want to just see Keith Photoshop. Uh, Tom Brady uh, eating the fingernails of dead people. <laughs> Tom Brady. <laughs> I won't insinuate that he murdered them, just... Uh, uh, he just he just got a little peckish. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what? Well. I won't even say dead people. Let me just say Tom Brady feasting on fingernails. Tom Brady. <laughs> feasting on fingernails. Tom Brady. Okay. Congratulations. Feasting on fingernails. Tom Brady. Get that iron. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to announce how many spare tires this episode gets. 
so clearly the best episode of the season. Let's see where it falls in the overall rankings. I'm I'm really actually interested to hear you uh, talk, Keith, because this is one of those episodes that I think my question would be is, does it hold up to scrutiny, right? Once you know the end game and you go back and rewatch it, do you, are there tells? Are there holes? Or does it, does the artifice, not artifice, does the, does the house of cards still play out well? Mm. Um, you know, I used, uh, I, I flippantly used Inception as a uh, comparison earlier, and I actually think it's pretty, pretty, pretty good analogy. Mm-hmm. It's it, there's so many lay or uh, what's another one? What's that guy? I see dead movie? people. Yep, the sixth sense, and also uh, what's the one? Oh, it's I love the movie where he's got the tattoos that of the case. Oh, 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 um, memento, memento. You know every the the precision necessary to to create to to pull the gag off at the end, and also not make it just about the reveal, right? You know. Um, the prestige, you know, the reveal is great, but it's about the story leading up to it. That's also right. compelling, and so it, it's all it, Christopher it, Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So it all it all worked for me, man. And the from the performances to the direction to the teleplay, I really like. I said, if my one nit, if I was trying to find one right now, is that I felt like once from the very beginning, like Lindsay's passageway into the case at the top when you go in clean doesn't quite feel as compelling as I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. She kind of has to just take her friend's word for it again. And as Bobby says, like this might not be something we want to bite off. Like we don't, maybe we don't want this attention. Maybe we don't want this notoriety. It's not. So maybe that though, like I said, that's part of the ruse too, right? Because when we find out the reveal the the, she got played too, the friend. So, so it makes sense that they that they had to have a personal kind of bite. That all said, because I, I, I want to hear your take, you know, yeah. on on poking holes. I'm. It's, it's as close to perfect as I think we've seen. And so, I have to give it. I can't say it's perfect. Because I don't. I've not seen the entirety of the practice, so I can't give mm-hmm. out the perfect ten. But. It's as close as we've gotten. I'm going to give it a 9.85. 9.85. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I was excited to see this one coming up, like seasons in advance. Um, and I was wondering, too, because, you know, I'd... Pr- I, I, I saw it the night of, I think I probably saw it uh, again at some point in the intervening 20 years, but I was like, is it going to hold up? Is it going to, because I know the twist, is it still going to be compelling? Well, I've now watched it twice more after that. I watched it yesterday and then again today. And at least for me, it really does. It really does hold up. And it really, I find it compelling every time, even though I know the outcome because now I'm watching it from the standpoint of like watching him execute the strategy and knowing the strategy and watching him execute it, it almost becomes like watching a heist movie. It's like watching Ocean's yeah. Eleven and I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch the whole plan 
work forward. And it's very satisfying the second time around, just like that, because it does hold up. It does all make sense. Um, you know, if I had uh, if I had a nit to pick, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily have the same one that you would. I would just like to have seen a little bit more uh, acknowledgement of the journey this must have been for Lindsay from the standpoint of having already been attacked by a serial killer. Uh, and just having a little bit more of that emotional momentum. But there really wasn't time. I mean, and it's it's funny yeah. in a situation where there's only an a, only an A case in this story, in this episode, and there's there's no B stories, no C story, no comedic subplot. It is just this story. And yet it feels jam-packed. It feels like every beat is necessary. It feels like feels like we're racing along. It never feels like there's filler in there. Which again speaks to the quality of the episode, um, and you know, honestly, you gave it a nine point eight five. Uh, I think to leave a little room for what might be coming, and you know, it is for the point of reference, it is the highest rated episode on IMDb of the entire series. Okay, that's good to know. And I think. Um, it was probably the one I've looked forward to most. And I was not disappointed. Is he going to do it, folks? And I think, uh, nits aside, if I have to go back and watch another, like, oh, man, I feel I feel down. I want to watch a practice episode. This is probably first in my queue. So, therefore, this will be the first time, maybe the only time, in the out-of-practice podcast history that I will award a full 10 tires. Woo! So that is a 9.93. There it is, the first 10 of the series. 9.93. I don't know that it's going to get higher than that. I I don't know. I, I Honestly, I will see where it strikes us, but woo, that was an incredible episode of The Practice. It was probably a mediocre episode of Out of Practice, but (laughs) thanks for sticking with us. (laughs) If you would like to reach out and talk to us and wish Mike a happy 40th birthday, you have, what, four days left before you're an old, old man? Reach us at Out of Practice Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or email us outofpracticepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our blog, which will have a new number one in the rankings, outofpracticepodcast.blogspot.com. The Out of Practice Podcast is brought to you by generous donations from Leanne Wrights, CloudLover69, Jorge Navoa, and Jennifer Masanova. Please join them and Mike will tell you how. You can donate to the podcast in one or two ways, a monthly contribution or a single donation. You'll find the links to do so in our show notes. In fact, you can, oh, the timer's going. You can also uh, let a friend know that you think we're funny or that the show is interesting. Uh, We'd like to thank all of our future and current sponsors or those joining the show now or that have been listening from the beginning. We thank you. Keith, do me a favor. Convince me that I shot off laser sounds when it turns out I didn't actually fire them off, but then it turns out after that that I did fire them off all along. Yes, laser sounds. And 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 by the way, uh, the 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 little icon there, that's the Dharma Initiative logo, which you don't know because you don't know Lost, but I think you should watch Lost just to see Michael Emerson 
as Ben in that because this character is proto-Ben. Okay, so I'm going to YouTube a supercut of Ben scenes in... No, don't. Just watch the series. Not going to happen. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Laser sounds. <laughs>